you're listening to the Pomerado Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for spending time with us today. If you're a weekly listener, welcome back. If this is your first time, we're so glad you're here and hope you consider subscribing. If you're in your car, on a run, doing things around the house, or working out, and want to connect even further and take next steps with us, visit pomerado.info. Now, enjoy this week's message. Well, good morning, everyone. It is good to see all of you here, um, and good to see those of you who are joining us online as well. Um, I just wanted to thank all of you for your prayers for me and my family as we were at Hume Lake one week, and then got COVID and then just recovering. So uh, we're doing much better. So much appreciated your prayers. Again, whether you're praying here or whether you watched us online and prayed for us, thank you for that. Um, also want to just give a, uh, a, mo- a note of appreciation uh, to Dan Lewis, who filled in the pulpit the past couple of weeks. Um, very appreciative of that. Uh, very, very appreciative of that. So I'm um, grateful for, for him stepping in and allowing uh, me and my family to be able to be fully recovered. So um, we are, as Carol just mentioned in the video, we are in a series called The Content Life. We're looking through the, uh, the studying the book of Philippians um, throughout the summer and acknowledging that Paul wrote from prison cell in Rome to a church in Philippi that was um, struggling with infighting, a church that was being persecuted, a church that uh, needed some encouragement and needed some hope, and recognizing that when there's conflict all around us, we can still be content in Christ. That while he was writing to a, ch- a church that needed joy and peace and a content life in the midst of a fractured and, and um, difficult culture, we too need joy and peace and a content life in a fractured and often difficult culture. And so we're continuing this series together. And before we pray and open up into the scripture, we'll be in Philippians chapter 4, if you would like to start turning your Bibles there. Just the first three verses. We're not taking a big chunk of scripture today, but sometimes small passages can have big impacts. And so we want to unpack that together. But before we get to that, um, I want to just ask, have you ever had a moment, you don't need to like respond if you don't want to, but you ever had a moment, whether it was a, maybe a spouse, maybe a, a child of yours, uh, another relative, maybe um, an employer, maybe a close friend, calls you up or pulls you aside and says these four words that we all love to hear, we need to talk. You ever had those moments? And you think to yourself, like immediately, it's never like, we need to talk do you want steak for dinner, medium rare, or medium well? Like, it's never that. It's always like a much bigger dynamic, right? So I remember when I was working um, at my previous church, uh, my supervisor at the time um, was and still is one of my closest friends. And he, uh, we were talking about, we had an event for the, youth, for the students. And it was a student leadership team that we had. And they were running the event. They planned it. They put it together. And at the end of the event, on a Wednesday night, it was late, they kind of just put some of the leftover, like, um, the the different things that need to be put away. They didn't put it away all the way. And I remember uh, joking with him on Thursday. So the next day, um, he's like, oh, yeah, we need to, you know, move this stuff back out. And I was joking. I was like, well, I mean, as a student-led event, like, we should let them do it, right? And he didn't say anything until about an hour or so later. And he's like, we need to talk. And I remember just being like, you know, like, what, what, what did I do? What did I say? He pulls me in. He's like, you know, that, and he, and he was 
my joke was not landed well, or did not land well, excuse me. And so it was, it was well-founded. He's like, listen, we don't have the attitude that it's for other people. We do it. I'm like, yes, you're absolutely right. And we spent the rest of that afternoon helping to put things away. And I was trying to be like, I was being lighthearted, but we all know that sometimes lightheartedness in a serious moment doesn't always work. And so just this reminder of like, we need to talk and the conflict that was about to arise from that conversation. And whenever we hear, we need to talk, it means that there's a conflict, whether we knew about the conflict and we, now the time has arrived, whether we didn't know there was a conflict and now it's presented to us for the first time, or whether it's just a dynamic in which things have boiled under the surface for so long, we needed to navigate what that looks like. And so there are things in our lives that are worth having conflict over. And there's some that are not. Speaking of the workplace and conflict, I want to read some statistics from 2008 where it said that employees in 2008 on average spent 2.8 hours every week in conflict. I don't think they like calendared it into their calendar, but the idea was Throughout the week, out of a 40-hour work week, at least over two and a half of those hours were because they had conflict with a coworker or there was a conflict with a supervisor or what was going on. And that caused something for them that was difficult. Talked about how 25% of workers in the U.S. would call out sick because they did not want to deal with and navigate a conflict that they were experiencing at work. And if you're someone who wants to look at the figures, finances of it, Conflict cost $359 billion, with a B, in paid hours because it equaled out to 385 million work days out of that year. And the majority of people in a workplace haven't navigated, at least at the time, maybe it's gotten better now, but at the time in 2008, 14 years ago, the majority of people did not have proper training on how to navigate conflict. And so what we're going to talk about today is that there are times in which conflict is absolutely necessary. Friends, there are things in which we stand firm on. There are things in which we know for the safety of those around us that we protect. There's times in which we know that there are things that we will stand firm on and have conflict. But friends, if we're honest, there are also times where we make mountains out of molehills. We make something that should be small into a conflict that can divide friendships, that can erode relationships, and that could be smirch the witness of the gospel to the world around us. Jesus told us that we would be known by how we love one another within the church as the body of Christ. And so if we allow unimportant conflicts or, or ones that are not vital, if we allow that to create enmity within the church so that people on the outside of the church would look and say, why would I ever want to follow Jesus? Because they're just as messed up and they don't even know how to navigate conflict. If we're called to be unified, if over 50 times in the New Testament, we're called to do something to one another out of our relationship with God. Love one another, pray for one another, serve one another, forgive one another, bear one another each other's burdens. If we have over 50 examples of what we ought to do for one another and we don't live it out, we that conflicts that are the wrong kind of conflicts conflict with God's purpose, then we are missing out 
on the relationship with God we're meant to have, the relationship with brothers and sisters in the Lord we are meant to have, and the relationships for those who are far from God, they miss out on a relationship with him. We're called to be cities on a hill that shine like stars in a crooked and depraved generation. We read that a few weeks ago in Philippians 2. But if we're not shining, we're just part of the darkness. So what we're going to do is, look, Aristotle sums up the problem of anger and conflict well here. He says, anybody can become angry. That's easy. We all know that, right? But to be angry with the right person and to the right degree and at the right time and for the right purpose and in the right way, that is not within everybody's power. That is not easy. Friends, there are right circumstances to be angry. There are right circumstances to enter into conflicts. But we do so with the right purpose to speak truth in love. We do so being angry, not at the wrong, at the wrong person, but to navigate the right way to go about it. And we acknowledge the fact that common and of its, or excuse me, conflict in and of itself, as we saw from these facts and figures, is common. But our response to conflict ought to be uncommon. As Christians, we are called not to be peacekeepers, but peacemakers. Will you join me in a word of prayer as we enter into the scripture together? Father, I thank you so much for each person who is here with us today, whether here is live in person, whether here is watching online live or listening or watching the podcast on demand later. God, I know that each person who hears my voice is someone that you formed and shaped and love. I know that each person who hears my voice is someone that Jesus laid down his life for so they could be invited into right relationship with you. And I know that each person who hears my voice is someone, Holy Spirit, you want to draw closer to the Father today. So Lord, I pray that as we dive into your word, that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us, Lord. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I mentioned, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Small passages with a big impact. Now, I'm calling this sermon Pretenders and Contenders. Because we're going to talk about how sometimes we pretend conflict doesn't exist, or we contend and have the wrong mindset of conflict for the wrong conflicts. And so what I want to do is unpack that a little bit. But before we do, um, I want to just have a quick question. Uh, someone, you, if you've been here for any amount of time, you know uh, that I enjoy watching sports, playing sports, another thing. But I love watching them, uh, and I'm a big fan of Bay Area sports teams. But how many of you here, just by a show of hands or a hoop and a holler, uh, are San Diego Padres fans? Okay, everyone raise your hand real quick and hold it for a second. I want you to know that first service had one person raise their hand. So good job, all of you. You guys did great. I'm not calling out the first service, but I did kind of say, you know, what is the deal? So San Diego Padres fans, I will say that it is my second favorite um, stadium to go to uh, because, again, I love the Giants, uh, 18D, well, now Oracle Park. But earlier this year, um, both teams were, you know, the Dodgers, boo, Dodgers, sorry, uh, Dodgers, Padres, Giants were all within a few games of each other earlier in the year. And so in June of 2022, so just less than two months ago, Bleacher Report put together um, some, a, a list of 
pretenders or contenders. And if you follow sports, you hear this dynamic. Is this team a pretender? Do they look good? They seem to have a good record, but in the end, they will falter and fall to the wayside. Or are they a contender? Are they a viable team that could actually legitimately have a chance to win a championship? Last year, the Giants won 107 games and even beat the Dodgers for winning the NL West. So I was very excited about that. So I come into the year and be like, all right, we're going to be, you know, we're going to be contenders. But here's how Bleach Report put it two months ago. If you were to say, which of the two teams was a contender, they put the San Diego Padres. So for those of you who like the Padres, good on you. That's great. Um, and if you like the Padres and you're following, they are in the mix for Juan Soto, who's one of the best players of this or any generation, uh, and other players that they're, AJ Preller, their GM, the general manager who oversees transactions, is just like, we're going to get the best team possible. And so I'm like, a little jealous, but it's okay. So San Diego Padres were contenders, but guess my friends who the pretenders were? San Francisco Giants. And so I'm like, boo, I don't like this list. But it's acknowledging, thank you, yes, we got someone. I'll take it, I love it. Um, but this idea, pretenders, contenders. And obviously, this is a very small, silly example when it comes to sports and which team has a viable uh, option to opportunity to win the championship, the World Series. Because really, we all can agree, as long as it's not the Dodgers, we'll be fine. But recognizing that there is a difference, right, between someone who's just pretending something and someone who's actually a part of it. And so the way we approach conflict, friends, we can't pretend if there's a conflict. We can't pretend it doesn't exist. If we pretend conflict doesn't exist, we lose. You ever try to bury a conflict so much that you just pretended that it didn't exist? Anytime you hear that person's name, you're, 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 there's a pit in your stomach and your heart starts to race, but you haven't approached them yet. You haven't talked to them about it. And they haven't spoken to you. See, as we open in Philippians 4, Paul has welcomed Epaphroditus, someone from Philippi, and gave him good news, and then sent him back, as we saw in the end of Philippians 2, sent Epaphroditus back very quickly to, back to Philippi. He gives the letter to the Philippians, and he writes all these different things about, you know, he began a good work and you will finish it to completion. The idea that live now as a manner worthy of, according to the, or of your calling according to the gospel of Christ. Put others' needs above your own. Do not have selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Have the same attitude as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of man, did not consider equality with God something to be taken advantage of, but made himself nothing. Made himself a servant. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. Talks to him and says, you know, don't find confidence in your flesh. He says, I was one of the best Jews around and I find, I consider all of my previous accomplishments as rubbish compared to knowing Christ. See, he's writing all these really important things and talks about how we ought to strain for and yearn to achieve what God has for us. Not that we've already obtained for it, but I stretch and I strain as Philippians 3.14 talks about. So I can receive the prize that have been called heavenward in Christ Jesus. See, Paul writes all these incredible things. Imagine. You're sitting there, and, and these, these letters would be written out loud, right? They don't have chapter and verse the way that we have them now, but they'd be writ, read out loud. So imagine you're sitting here. You're hearing all this stuff, 
And then Philippians 4.1, it's not on the screen, but 2 is where we're going to land for a moment. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Notice the language of love, brothers and sisters. I love you. I long for you. You're my joy. You're my crown. My dear friends, verse 2. I plead with Euodia, and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Imagine being Euodia and Syntyche. You ever had someone that you have a moment where you're in class, and someone comes up to you and says, think back to middle school or high school, say, do you hear what everyone's saying about you? Did you hear what they said? Think about if you're at work, and you go and they say, hey, the boss just sent out an email. Did you see that they called you by name? He called you out? Euodia and Syntyche, we don't know what the details were of the conflict. And I think part of that is because the conflict is less important than how we navigate it. And so Euodia and Syntyche, I plead with you. This conflict, you need to find a resolution. See, they couldn't Euodia and Syntyche couldn't bury their heads in the sand and pretend the conflict didn't exist. Imagine how big of a deal this conflict must have been for Epaphroditus, who's traveled from Philippi all the way to Rome to visit Paul, to give the gifts that the Philippians were going to bestow upon Paul. And Paul says, hey, let's, you know, let's have a cup of coffee in my prison and let's talk about how's the, how's the church? Oh, Paul, they're really experiencing some, some suffering. He's like, okay, I'll, I'll give them some encouragement. I'll let them know that they shine like stars in a dark world. Paul, they're, they're, they're not, they don't have the right mindset. They're putting other, their own needs first. Okay, well, I'll, I'll write them and let them know to have the same attitude as Christ. You know, Paul, Euodia and Syntyche, remember them? They're fighting and it's causing a problem. And the fact that Paul wrote by name, I plead with these two women, be of the same mind in the Lord. And think about this, when Euodia and Syntyche, they're listening to it, and they know that Paul's called them out. It's like Paul's saying, hey, Euodia, Syntyche, we need to talk. We need to navigate this because the division and the disunity in the church and the body of Christ does not only impact the two people involved, it impacts the entire body of Christ and the message and the testimony to those outside of the body of Christ. He says, I plead with you. So Euodia is like, oh, I can't believe Syntyche is like that. And she gathers her friends and her supporters and her family. And Syntyche says, well, I can't believe Euodia said this to me. And they gather their friends and her supporters and family. And all of a sudden, a division is nothing. It's utterly apparent that something's not right. Paul says, we need to talk. We need to find a way to be of the same mind Euodia, Syntyche, you can't pretend, you can't bury your hand. You can't pretend conflict doesn't exist because you're both losing. And so is the church. And so is the testimony around. So we can't be pretenders when it comes to conflict. If conflict exists, we can't pretend that it doesn't. Because if we do, we lose. Both of them loses. Everyone loses. But secondly, as we continue in verse 2, if we contend against one another in the wrong conflicts, the world loses. If we contend against one another in the wrong conflict, the world loses. Again, friends, there are right conflicts. 
There are healthy, important, necessary conflicts. But if we find ourselves in the wrong conflicts with people, especially in this case, brothers and sisters within the church or within the family of God, it only besmirches the witness and causes people far from God to think, why would I want to be a part of that? Again, I'll read the second, I'll read verse two, but emphasize the second part. I plead with you, Odia, and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. See, no one, friends, I think you know this, but just to be clear, no one will agree with you about everything in your life. No one will agree with you about everything. So what does that mean? That means that if we try to find and um, categorize people and say, oh, well, that person doesn't think this. They are the other. They are them and we are us. We start to surround ourselves with people or thoughts that are only the same thing that we think. Let me give a very lighthearted example of this. Um, this, is, this can be a controversial topic, but I want to just embrace it because this is where we're at. Um, how many of you find it acceptable to put pineapples on pizza. Anyone have a pineapple? Okay, good amount. How many of you are like, that is an abomination and should not exist? Okay, so see, right here. Okay, we're getting very excited about our pro-pineapple, anti-pineapple dynamic here. That is such a small example. Now, imagine some of you who are in the back and you're looking at, and let's say you're pro-pineapple and you saw someone that was anti-pineapple and you say, I can't even be friends with that person anymore. That person has lost the right to the friendship because they have lost their mind when it comes to pizza topics, right? Like, could you imagine finding something small like that and allowing that to create division? Now, obviously, that is a silly example, but there was something going on in Euodia and Syntyche's lives and in their conflict where it was bigger than pineapples on pizza, but the idea was something was creating a division between them. And what Paul is calling them to, and what Paul is calling us to, is to recognize that humanly differences cannot stop heavenly purposes. We cannot allow that to happen. So when he says, be of the same mind in the Lord, he says, you're going to disagree about pineapples on pizza, or you're going to disagree on fill in the blank, different things that as humans, we create divisions and we create, oh, you're in that box and I'm in this box. And then, oh, well, we're in this box together, but you're in that box over there. And it creates division. We end up creating echo chambers for ourselves where we only hear and we only surround ourselves with things or people that agree with what we already believe. Therefore, that creates the dynamic where we say, because we're in an echo chamber, we say we are the only ones that are right, and so everyone else is the other. It is the them, and it's us versus them. Let me be blatantly clear. I'm not referring to when it comes to following Jesus. There is only one way. There is only one truth. There is only one life. And universalism or the idea that we can all meet God of different paths up the same mountain is not accurate. So I'm not talking about those heavenly concepts. I'm talking about humanly ones. Ones that can cause division for the wrong reasons and conflicts for the wrong reasons. Let me give another example. How many of you have seen uh, Saving Private Ryan? War movie that came out in 1998 that depicted the story of starting at D-Day all the way through the story of a group of soldiers who were called and they're, they're 
their mission was to find Private Ryan because Private Ryan had three brothers who died on the same day and all three were going to, or the mom was going to receive all three letters on that same day. And so they said from the top of the military, we need to bring her other son back home so she can at least have one son out of this war. So it's a fictitious story, but there's one character, his name's Private Ryben, so not Ryan, Ryben, R-E-I-B-E-N, and he wears this jacket, if you can see. It says on the back of it, Brooklyn, New York, USA. And so, not that there's like another Brooklyn, New York, like it's not Brooklyn, New York, like Guam, like that's not a thing, but still, he wanted to be very clear. But at this idea of Imagine this. Ryben is a little spicy in the movie. Like he, he's not afraid to come to authority and to fight back or push back. So imagine this scenario with me. Imagine that you are on one of those watercrafts that is going to land on June 6, 1944 at Normandy. You can see from afar, you see the German gunners that are getting situated in their places. You can see the different obstacles that they've put on the beach. This, this movie was so realistic in depicting this event that there were veterans who were still alive in 1998 when it came out that had to leave the theater because it was too real. And so you see this and you imagine that you're there and you're hearing the, the opening scenes. You have these like sloshes of the, the boat just very slowly going along the, ra- the waves. You see one man who's shaking and he takes a drink from a flask. You see others who are looking around nervously. Imagine you're in that boat and in front of you, you see Private Ryben. You've known him before, but you see right in front of you, you're getting ready and you see the war going on around you, ready to start. You see Brooklyn, New York, USA. And imagine if you say, I hate the Brooklyn Dodgers. I live, I'm from Upper Manhattan Polo Grounds where the New York Giants play. I hate the Dodgers. At first, Ryben doesn't understand. He's like, okay, whatever. He's like, but he's testy. He's fiery. He's like, what did you just say? And I say, I hate the Dodgers. He said, well, who do you like? I like the Giants. And the Giants and Dodgers is one of the oldest rivalries in sports and baseball, specifically in America. And so imagine this. You are sloshing your way, supposed to be on the same team to overtake this stronghold that would allow for freedom within the people in a world war eventually ending and you start getting in a fist fight with someone over what baseball team they liked imagine in june 6 1944 the morning that started the giants and the dodgers were giants were eight and a half games back from the st louis cardinals and the dodgers were nine games back and imagine that as a giants fan you just start ribbing like oh you guys are further back than us and they start fighting Imagine they start getting into fisticuffs. They punch one another and the real battle is going on around them and people are dying. People are losing their lives and they're fighting over the most innocuous, inane things. Friends, there are right reasons to be in conflict with people. Just and good reasons. And when we are there, we speak the truth in love. We don't falter and shortchange truth but we don't do share truth without any love and empathy behind it. But friends, there are denominations, there are churches that have split because they didn't like the color of carpet. There are churches that have split because they didn't like the style of music anymore. There are denominations that split over small things. There's others who are big things and there's reality to that. But a world that sees 
that Christians don't focus on the right battle. Christians are infighting over the wrong things. It's like facing the severity of D-Day and worrying about the standings of your baseball team that morning. It's the wrong conflict. But the wrong conflict can divide, disperse, and destroy a community of God and the witness of God. So see, we can't pretend conflict doesn't exist because we lose when we're in conflict with someone. But if we contend against one another for the wrong conflicts, the world loses. They miss out on the unity and the beauty that comes when people from different backgrounds and different countries and different economic statuses and who vote differently, who think differently, they miss out by seeing that all of us can be united because of what Jesus did on the cross. That all of us are united in that we fall short of the glory of God. All of us are united in the facts that we need a savior. All of us are united in our need for Jesus. And he made a way where there was no way. And so God doesn't look at your country of origin in order to say whether or not you can be saved. He says, what did you do with Jesus? And what did he mean in your heart and your life? We can't have conflict within the church for the wrong reasons. Because the world loses out on the hope that they can have through a right relationship with God. Because they, like Gandhi would say, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. They are so unlike your Christ. Or like Brendan Manning says, the single greatest cause of atheism today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and go out and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Friends, there are reasons to have conflicts, but let's not cause a small conflict that's based on humanly differences. Run the risk of shortchanging the gospel and stopping God's heavenly purposes. Rupertus Meldinius says it this way. It was, this quote has been attributed to Augustine, but it wasn't from him. It was from Rupertus years later. In essentials of the faith, unity. In non-essentials, liberty, excuse me, in all things, charity. And we can navigate, you know, what's essentials, what are non-essentials, those things. But in reality, in our polarized culture, in our us versus them culture, if someone doesn't agree with us, many times people don't err on the side of charity, they err on the side of enmity. And when enmity becomes how we interact with people who don't agree with us, and we are falling woefully short of the image that Jesus gave. Because while we were still sinners, God demonstrated his own love for us that he died, sent Jesus to die for us. We were enemies of God. And he sent his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. So we talked about we can't pretend it doesn't ex conflict doesn't exist. We can't contend against one another for the wrong conflicts. So as we close, we look at if, if we contend alongside one another in the right conflict, the world wins. Doesn't mean that everyone's going to come to know Jesus, but they will see a realistic example of what a life and lives changed by the gospel can have in someone else's life. 
If we contend alongside one another in the right conflict, the world wins. Verse 3. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. I highlighted two phrases there. The first is the idea of him calling out his true companion to help the women in the midst of the conflict. That word companion can also be used as a proper name, like a, like a proper person. So it could be like um, proper person, like it's like a British person with their pinky out, sorry. Um, someone who is a proper noun, right? So it's, hey, you specific person, help these two women. Or it's an unnamed, and in this case, it's an unnamed companion. We don't know who, but he's saying, listen, we need to talk. The conflict going around between Yodia and Syntyche is harming the church and harming the ministry of the gospel. My loyal companion, I need you to not be a peacekeeper that just says, okay, Euodia, you take your friends that way. Syntyche, you take your friends that way. Just go in your own corners and we'll just pretend everything's fine. Parents, you ever do that as, as with your kids? When you say, you just go in that room, you go in that room and just we'll have this false peace. But it is a false peace. He says, loyal companion, you need to not be a peacekeeper. He says, you be okay with everyone and you be okay with everyone. He says, you need to be a peacemaker. Someone who makes a way of peace where there is no way. Someone who navigates and says, this is going to be hard. But the resolution on the other side of a hard conflict is well worth it. That we're not going to allow humanly differences to distract from God's heavenly purposes. And that conflict is common, but our response ought to be uncommon. We are called to be peacemakers, not peacekeepers. See, Jesus was a peacemaker who entered into this world when we were separated from God for our sin. And God loves us, but we blew it. There's sin in our lives, and Jesus paid for it. He filled in the gap. He stepped in there, and he made a way. He was a peacemaker. And then invites us to have eternal peace with with God through him. So go ahead and go back to the previous slide. So he's saying, friends, be a peacemaker. Why? Because these women, they're friends of mine. These women, they have contended alongside me or on my side for what? Not for unimportant conflicts, but for the cause of the gospel. We've contended together for the right things. In the Greek, the word contend is also the word struggle, but it comes from this compound word. The idea of with is where the con prefix comes from. And then the second part is this idea of a striving. And so when Paul says someone who's contended on my side, he's like, we have been hand in hand or, or locked arms to strive with one another for the cause of the gospel. Now we... Now, whenever we think of contend, we think of someone who's against one another. So the idea, picture this. Picture in ancient Greece, there's the races in in the Olympics, and everyone's lined up, and they have 100 meters. They wouldn't call it that, but you know, 100-meter dash. They have a foot race. And as they're running, they're each contending. Why? Because they're striving with. They're next to each other, striving for the same purpose, to win the race. However, because it becomes us versus them, then it became this idea of contending when we hear it is we are enemies, we're against one another. So if we say, they've contended with me, it makes it sound like in our ears, we hear, oh, like they've had arguments with Paul too. 
But that's not what it's saying. It's saying we are side by side. We were connected for the sake of the gospel. Help them remember to be of the same mind in the Lord. Help them to remember that the conflict around is vastly more important than the conflict within. Yes, things need to be worked out. We don't hide conflict. But if navigated well, conflict helps our relationships to be stronger, more clear, and healthier. So he's saying, listen, you both know Euodia and Syntyche in front of the entire church. So talk about accountability. Talk about being called out. Talk about Paul just saying, we need to talk. This is a big enough deal. I'm going to call you out and you out and say, fix this. Work through this. Because if I'm the captain inside that, that boat that's about to hit the beaches of Normandy, and I hear two people, fellow soldiers, who are two privates who are arguing over which baseball team they liked. You better believe I'm going to step in and say, not now. This is the least important thing that you need to worry about. Let's contend with one another, alongside one another, and let's take this beach so that people can experience freedom. Friends, let's, let's not allow conflicts to stop us from working together to take, not take this beach, but to show the world the hope of the gospel so that lives can be saved and freedom can be won. So we close with a few questions based on, oh no, sorry, there's one more point I want to mention. Uh, To give context to this, Verse, chapter 4, verse 1 says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. This is the verse we started with, but the reason we put it up now is because it helps us to remind Paul to show us the context of what he's saying. That as we've said before, and as you'd learn now, um, when you see a therefore in the Bible, you want to find out what it's there for. Look to the previous section and see why is it there. So Philippians 3, verse 18 and 19, or 18 through 21 say this, For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. Known as Paul's heart for the lost. With tears. When he's saying this, you know, you can't tell emotion with writing. That's why you can add emojis nowadays. They didn't have emojis back then. And so he's showing them that his heart's broken, that they're enemies of the cross of Christ. He doesn't say, because if we have the wrong attitude, if we enter into the lost, a relationship with the lost in the wrong way, people who don't know Jesus, we're far from him. We might enter it with, some people may enter it with jeers and mock them. Well, you're going to, you're never going to know Jesus. You're going to go to hell. Paul doesn't say we recognize these things that people are far from God with cheers. We're not happy about it. We don't do it with jeers and anger and mocking. We have this with tears. It should break our hearts that there are people who don't know Jesus, who don't have the hope that we have, the salvation, the purpose, the comfort eternal life with God forever, that should cause us to have tears. 
not jeers, not cheers, but tears. But this is the pivot point, verse 19. Their mind is on earthly things. Verse 20, the next slide. But our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. He says this, if we allow small conflicts to intervene, it's like we are living like the world and we make earthly things the most important things. Earthly divisions, earthly boxes that we put people in, earthly things become of the utmost importance to us if we allow that, if we're like the world. Have you ever watched those movies or shows where there's an undercover police officer who has to do undercover work? In the beginning, they know where their allegiances lie, but the longer they're in that world, the longer they start to have a lack of clarity. And so often there's a pivot point where they say, where do my allegiances truly lie? And they have to decide to whom are their allegiances currently aligned. Friends, we are not undercover agents in this world, but we are people who come here and our citizenship is not here. This is not our forever home. Our citizenship is in heaven with a relationship with God, the Father through Jesus Christ. And so it's saying while you're here, don't become like an undercover agent who starts to think like the world and act like the world and divide like the world and categorize like the world. No, no, no. We come because our minds, our citizenship is on heavenly things. It's on things above. It's recognizing that we're not going to get caught up in fighting about baseball teams when there's a war to be won. We're not going to get caught up in small, unimportant conflicts when the greatest conflict, the fact that this world has people who are far from God who need to know Jesus, when that's still going, far be it from us. And we would be remiss to allow small conflicts to besmirch the witness of Christ and the world around us. So here are the closing questions. Looking at our points, are you pretending a conflict doesn't exist when it really does? If that's you, face it. Lean into that conversation and, and you can't bury your head in the sand any longer if you know it's there. Because if you do that, you both lose. Are you in an unnecessary, number two, an unnecessary conflict that damages the gospel? Something that causes people that, if you're complaining about people who don't know Jesus, who are far from God, about how awful things are in your church, how is that going to help them ever want to come to know Jesus? Instead, come to us or come and have a conversation and forget that conflict that's unimportant. Forget which baseball team you follow on D-Day. Number three, is there someone you desperately want to know Jesus? Fight for them. Notice not fight them, fight for them. You are contending, striving with them, alongside them to know Jesus. Because friends, if we get this right, we can be a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. We will be shining our light in a world that cannot be hidden under a bushel basket. We will be shining like stars in a crooked and depraved generation. We will be the kind of people that people look at and say, there's a lot of different people that meet at that church and yet they all can be united in their need for Jesus and the hope they find in him. Maybe, just maybe, I can find that too. And we could shine like stars and point people not to us to give ourselves credit, but to Jesus to give God glory. Let's pray.
Father, I thank you so much for who you are, and I thank you for each person who is here with us in person, online, or listening later. God, I know that as we discuss conflict and we talk about these dynamics, Lord, that there are a lot of emotions that can enter into um, our hearts and our thoughts, God, that some of us, we have a pit in our stomach knowing about a conflict that's going on. We have our hearts racing, our minds is wandering or, or racing as well. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would um, calm our hearts and help us to know you are with us. I pray that you would give us wisdom and discernment to know which conflicts need to be faced, which need to be forgotten, and which people you want us to fight for alongside them so they could come to know you. So God, we love you and we thank you for this time. Meet us here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We want to be a church where people are changed by God to change the world. If you want to partner with us in this way, you can start by doing these two things. The first, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do that by hitting the subscribe button wherever you're listening so you can stay connected with us and we can broaden our reach. And the second, and this might be the most important thing you do, share this message with someone you know. And as always, remember you are prayed for, cared for, and loved. See you next time.